listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 ushers are coming with Bibles, and we would love for everyone to have a copy of God's Word in your hand this morning, and, and either your own, own Bible or uh, one, maybe it's a digital Bible that you have, but if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. They would love to get one of those in your hands. And if you don't have one at home, please take that home. That is our gift to you. We want you to uh, have a Bible. God's, this is God's Word. It's just not a book. And it is uh, a collection of books that God has given to us to form one amazing book that uh, just resonates and, and proclaims the greatness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5, we'll be looking at that in just a moment as we continue on in our series here on the Sermon on the Mount. I remember as a young boy being rattled, very shocked, saddened and confused when the news came out in our church that a man who had been our leader for our boys uh, boys midweek club that met weekly at our church had separated from his wife and they were pursuing a divorce. That was the first time that I had been impacted in a personal way with divorce. And I remember thinking, how could it be? How could this happen? Why couldn't they just get along? And what about their kids? And since that time, divorce has struck much, much closer to home. In my family, my friends, as a pastor, people in our churches that we've ministered to, as well as even people who I one time stood before and they committed their lives to one another, and I was the minister for that. We've all been touched by it. Family, friends, and some of us, even here today, very personally, in your own life. And even today, talking about it, I tread carefully and I pray for, been praying, God, much humility, much clarity, God, just much uh, grace as, as we talk about this, but it is an important subject and God's word addresses it. And this is one of the joys and this is also one of the difficulties at time of preaching through the word of God. You can't skip over passages and as we desire to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the word of God, we have to address what God, God's word addresses and so we address that this morning. Even talking about it though can stir up a lot of memories. Some of them or probably a lot of them when it comes to divorce, it can be very painful memories. I remember when I started in ministry some 20-some years ago, I'm not saying how many, but 20-some, uh, the pastor that I served under, a godly, godly man who just greatly respected in, in so many ways as a man of God, a man after God's own heart, lived with the biblical perspective throughout his ministry right up until the very end of his formal ministry and probably even holds that view today. And it would be this, that he would not and he did not marry a couple who one or both of them had at one time been divorced. That was the position of many evangelical um, pastors or ministers, especially prior to the 1970s and 1980s, when most churches held strictly to a no divorce, no remarriage kind of understanding. But with the rise of divorce, rates in our land and in North America, it causes us to push back into the Word of God and to study the Word of God and see what God's Word has to say in this matter. 
And folks, I want to declare to you once and for all so you hear it and you know my heart, the Word of God has not changed. The Word of God will not change. And we do not change the Word of God to alter or to kind of fit the culture that, we're, that we live in. And so we want to be people who follow the Word of God. And so this morning, and one message isn't enough of this, books have been written, debates have been held, and yet today we're going to de we're desire to, to talk about this subject and, and we, even though cultural trends have changed, we want to study this carefully and see what God's word has to say. And we understand when God said and declared in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, when God says, I hate divorce because of the hurt and the destruction and the end in relationships that it can bring. And so today, as we continue on in the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus just touched on it briefly. And, and this, again, is, a, is the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. It was out of the lips of Jesus Christ. And so partway through this sermon, he devotes only two verses. There's two verses, these statements that he makes in here. But then we see he addresses it a little later on in Matthew chapter 19. But it's important that we have a biblical understanding and allow God's word to shape our theology. Not our views or not our flesh or not our cultural or our experiences to shape our theology. We need God's word to shape our, our, our theology and ultimately then our practice and how we live. And so today we are going to look at this matter through the word of God. We're going to look at it through Jesus' eyes. We're going to listen to Jesus' words on this subject. And I trust that today that you would do that and allow God to work in all of our lives and bring clarity and just some understanding and just see the beauty and, and the glory and, 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 and the design for God in marriage, but also the allowance for divorce to happen um, in our world and in our lives. And so I want to be clear this morning, and please take this, this is not a sermon of condemnation. And today, if you're here today, and this subject brings up old and, and either present feelings or hurts or just a lot of questions and different things, it's not my, my meaning in my heart to, to condemn or anything like that. We have to remember that Jesus did not come to condemn, he came to save and Jesus came to rescue and to bring healing and to bring forgiveness and to bring hope and a future. And just because there has been a divorce perhaps in your life or in your family member's life, life is not over. Because in Christ we are new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. Amen? That is a gospel truth and it can be applied to every relationship. There is forgiveness, there is healing, and there is hope because of Jesus Christ. And I want to go on record saying that this morning. If you have been divorced, you have to understand divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Jesus did not, as I said, he did not come to condemn, but he came to save the world. To offer his healing and forgiveness. And so I trust that today, wherever you find yourself... That this would be something that through this message today, whether you are married, whether you are not married, whether one day you hope to be married or one day you say, I never want to be married. Maybe you're single and say, it's not in the cards any further or any longer for me, whatever it is. But that we would all take and walk out of here and we would guard what is good. God, God gave us marriage. It's his institution and it is for the good. It is for the well-being of, of, of man and for women and for families. And so would we guard what, what is good, whether we're single, married, divorced, wherever it is, taking old wounds and, and hurtful memories, even as they're open today, uh, perhaps when you say, hey, I've just been receiving some healing and I'm getting past it, and now you bring it up again, it's like you rip it wide open, oh, I pray that God would bring healing, that would even be a further and a deeper healing. And clarity and understanding as we dig into his word. 
So let's listen to the words of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus had to say. Now, there's two verses here in Matthew chapter 5, and today I'm going to ask you to do something very tricky. Uh, some of you, I, I trust you can handle it. I also want you to turn to Matthew chapter 19. All right, so even do that right now. Get Matthew 19 ready and flip-flop between the two because we're, we're going to look at both of these passages because this is where Jesus in Matthew 19. So put a marker in Matthew 19 because we're going to address Matthew 5 first, but I want you to be ready to go like when we're you know, just nailing it and we're ramping this up thing here that you're not having to fumble and find Matthew 19 or just plug it into your device and you'll find Matthew 19 just instantly, however you may want to do that, or open up another page so it's ready to go. And so Jesus had much to say, but here, first, we're going to read in Matthew chapter 5. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so today we're going to see from this passage three statements, three instructions. We're going to see three things here from, from the Word of God or insights that will help us to guard what is good when it comes to marriage. Guard what is good. We're going to see three statements here that Jesus uh, virtually, that this passage is, is making as we dig into God's Word here this morning. And not just this passage, but, but, but a broader spectrum of the Word of God. And the first thing is, marriage is permanent. I encourage you to write that down. Marriage is permanent. God's plan for marriage from the beginning, one man, one woman for one lifetime. That's God's plan. His plan is for permanency when it comes to marriage. And there's going to be some other scripture verses we're going to look at. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. We're going to put this up on the screen, but I encourage you to write down that passage and look it up uh, as, as there's oftentimes a few other verses uh, before or after the ones we'll be looking up. But here in Genesis chapter 2, 24, we read this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the, and the man and the wife were both naked and were not ashamed." Nothing on earth is sweeter and more sacred than the purity of marital love and life together. This has been God's plan and this is his design. And we see this beauty, we see this purity here when we even see that, this statement that is made that, that both were naked and they felt no shame. They're, they were not ashamed. There's the purity of the love relationship, of the, the bond of marriage, of the safety, of the protection. This purity, and this is something that God is, this is why we want to build big fences and, and a big walls around our marriages to protect them. Because there's a purity that God brings into the marriage relationship. And so there's purity, but we see this intimacy as they are naked and as they are, they are it goes on as, as it says here in Genesis chapter 2, they became one flesh. There's no other relationship that is closer here on the planet than between a husband and a wife. No closer intimacy. And the deep, I mean, even when it comes to parent-child relationship, it's deeper, the marital relationship, than any sort of a close bond that one may have with their child. When a child is born, exciting, thrilled, I, I enjoyed seeing pictures of Shayon and Natalie's little one. I enjoyed seeing Trevor and Michelle when Micah was born. And the, the pictures of the parents are almost the best because you just see just this, they're so tired and yet they are so happy. And, 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 and there's nothing quite like, especially for me, when our daughter was first born, she was the first one born in our household and, and holding my own little daughter. 
And then holding my son a few years later, what a thrill. And especially between mother and, and child in those early months, the bonding that takes place because oftentimes they're the primarily, primary caregivers. Oftentimes they are the ones nursing the little one. And there's this closeness and this bonding. But they are never one flesh. And what God declares here in Genesis that the two become one flesh. There is two becoming one. This is a mystical union. This is a union where two people come together in this beautiful, sacred relationship. One thing I love to say in premarital counseling, and I love to say it in the wedding ceremony, it is a traditional statement, and I love tradition when it comes to this because it hits the truth. And, and, and somewhere in the marriage ceremony, part of it is I remind the couples that the marriage relationship is the closest and the most tenderest of all relationships that we will have. God designed marriage to be that deepest human relationship and connection that we can ever have, and that's why he put walls around it in marriage for our protection in that. In Matthew chapter 19, turn over there, we're going to read there. Jesus was being questioned by the Pharisees about divorce. And those Pharisees, I mean, you're going to hear, they're looking always for the loopholes. They're always looking to trick Jesus. They're always just trying to get out of things, try to make things kind of fit what they want to see. And you're going to see this, is, this kind of thinking is running pretty rampant in these days. We'll get to that in a moment. But here we see that Jesus endorsed the institution of marriage in Matthew chapter 19 from, uh, from Genesis 2. He, he takes Genesis 2 and he endorses it. He affirms that. And then he even adds greater clarity to it. Look at what it says in verses 5 and verse 6 of Matthew 19. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Genesis 2. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate, Jesus adds. What God has brought together, don't, don't, don't let any man, don't let anyone bring a separation. And Jesus is stating here the permanency of marriage. The importance of it, we see the purity of it, we see the permanency of marriage, that it's not temporary. God has a plan and his ideal, as I've already stated, is one man, one woman, monogamous, intimate, enduring marriage for a lifetime. The one area that was very clear that remarriage was permitted and, and even in that culture encouraged is when a, a partner would die. Then that frees a person from the bond uh, the, the bond of marriage and that covenant relationship, and they are free to remarry. So the first thing we see here is, is, the, is that marriage is to be permanent. But then second of all, we also see, encourage you to write this down, diver, divorce may at times be necessary. God's plan is for marriage to be permanent, but there are times when, when divorce is necessary. And what is happening in Jesus' day, very similar to today's day, is that divorce it had become very, uh, just, just very free and very easy. You could easily, just a lot even easier than today, come up with a certificate of divorce and divorce your spouse just almost within a day. Even here in Canada, there are still some pretty long and restrictive divorce laws that, that make getting a divorce easy. In, in Jesus' day, divorce was very easy to get. And what was happening is the people, and even God's people, were downplaying the Word of God, twisting it and making it fit their own ideas and their own culture. And so Jesus is confronting this quick and easy, kind of disposable marriage mindset that his, was hitting in that day and is also very true today in our world as well. And even though God did not intend 
for divorce to be part of his creation and part of his plan. We see that there are times, as Jesus has already stated, that divorce was permitted by God. We see that in Deuteronomy 24. I'll put these verses up there, but I encourage you to read that this week. Read uh, more of the verses in Deuteronomy chapter 24, where we see the law of Moses that divorce was indeed permitted. Verses 1 and 2, it says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And it goes on with some further instructions. But basically it says here, and this is what the Pharisees, and this was what was becoming, becoming very common in the day, is that if a man found some indecency in his wife, he could just up and divorce her and give her that certificate and send her on her way. But Jesus, in, but, but Jesus says, oh no, 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 no. We are not going in that direction. I'm giving you one reason as to why divorce would be allowed. And in Matthew 19 um, Jesus, again, he, he, he reiterates that as well. In Matthew 5, and, and, and so we have two times here, Matthew, in the book of Matthew, in chapter 5 and verse 19, Jesus says that divorce was allowed. And he said because of the sinfulness, because of the hardness of man's heart. But he goes on to say, but also because of, ultimately, because of infidelity. Look at, at verse 7 of Matthew 19. It says, They said to him, When then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her on her, on her way? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. What was happening in Jesus' day, as I said, people were taking, they were twisting the word of God, making it fit their own feelings, thinking, and culture. Have we seen that today? In Jesus' day, and this gets kind of interesting, and, and I love being able to study in the course of the week and dig into a passage and you find out the context of what was going on culturally and, and what was going on in the minds and, and what was going in the school of thought of those days. Today, we just have to turn on social media and we, you know, or the news and we, or, or watch TV or movies, and they're the ones setting many of the cultural trends of the day and, and, and the views on certain things. And so it's, it's rather interesting. In Jesus' day, there was basically two schools of thought on this subject between two rival uh, rabbinic, rabbinic schools. And so there were, you know, almost like the, there were different schools, kind of like how we can have different denominations. There were different schools of thought when it came to, to practice and belief, and especially in the area of divorce and remarriage. The school of Shamal took a conservative approach to Deuteronomy 24, and they taught that divorce was only allowed on the basis of gross indecency, meaning sexual sin. So the school of Shamel believed this, that, that they upheld the sanctity and the protection of marriage and that, it, that divorce was only permitted because of, sex, because of sexual sin. But then there's the school of Hillel that took a different view on that word indecency. And in, in Deuteronomy 24, verse 20, that's where it states it, that if he finds, as it, I read just a few moments ago, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency, and they had a whole interesting list of reasons that he could find his wife indecent and divorce his wife. 
Here are some of the reasons in some ancient Jew Jewish writings from the school of Hillel that are recorded in the Mishnah, which is a collection of Jewish writings from, from that day. Are you ready for this? Here are some of the reasons why how a husband could easily and quickly divorce his wife. A husband could divorce his wife if she had epilepsy, leprosy, tetanus, or warts. If she yelled at him and it could be heard outside the house by the neighbors. If she failed to perform certain services or duties within the home for burning his dinner. George is just getting livid on that one there, even right now. I, one thing, if you're not married yet or, or, or freshly married, just understand that burnt is a spice, okay? And you just get that in your head and, and you start to enjoy burnt things after a little while and it's okay, you know? And so j j just so, uh, just a little, little uh, that one, I threw that one in for free. Um, yeah. A husband could divorce his wife if she had bushy eyebrows, a turnip-shaped head, a protruding belly button, so if she had an Audi, um, if her ears were too floppy, had an overbite or missing teeth. He could divorce her if she ate something that he had forbidden her to eat. You ate the last chocolate cake? I divorce you. You know, I mean, it could happen just, you know, I mean, that quickly. Here, here's another interesting reason. Uh, if her parents moved into the same city against his wishes. <laughs> and I know some of you guys are just writing this down and just thinking, oh man, I could so use this. If he was no longer interested in her because of her plain looks, or if he found someone prettier. Sadly, there's a lot more, and I could go into a lot more detail. Things about her feet, her ankles, if she had uh, funny-looking toes, or what, I mean, it's just bizarre. But you know what, we kind of laugh at these kind of things, but even today, marriages break up over some pretty trivial things. And you hear about it sometimes, and oftentimes it's irreconcilable differences, and, and you find out some of those irreconcilable differences were pretty reconcilable, except for pride and, and being a pig. But most excuse that we end up hearing even today, yes, there is infidelity, but, but we will address that in a moment. But it's like, we just drew apart. We just fell out of love. I heard one man who served as an elder in his church for a season who ended up leaving his wife after they had a number of children together and the children were in their teenage years. And he, he, he left his wife saying he found his new soulmate, the one he was destined to be with. I mean, how crazy is that? And, and so easily, some of you, this will take you back to, I think it's the 1980s, Roxette singing that song, It Must Have Been Love, But It's Over Now. You know, just love kind of comes for a season, and then it's gone, so I divorce you. Marriages can break up so easily, and it can happen even within the life of the church, and it can happen in any marriage if Christ is not at the center. If God's word and God's instructions for marriage are not being lived out in humility and with a reliance on the Lord. People have twisted just like then and even today. We have twisted the word of God. We have twisted just as they twisted Moses, uh, the law of Moses to break up marriage for any reason. We can see that happening today. And so Jesus was correcting what was going on. And he was saying, what you are hearing and what you are doing, it's wrong. Because remember, just prior to this, Jesus in the Beatitudes was saying, 
We desire meekness, a pure heart, a heart of humility. And what is going on today in our culture, Jesus is saying, with the way people are just in and out of marriages and in this way, it's pride, it's self-centeredness, it's thinking about me, it's unloving. You've lost the spirit and the law of, and the purpose of marriage. And so Jesus is upholding the covenant of marriage, its permanency, its purity. And Jesus' instruction and in what we see through the word of God is that we stay together through thick and thin, warts and all. And so Jesus comes and he raises the standard. Look at what it says here again in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. He says, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so in Matthew 19, again, we see this. We, we see that Jesus affirms this. In verse 9, it says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And so we see that Jesus did permit divorce, but he did not demand it and he did not command it. Jesus expected divorce to be a rare exception and not become the rule within the lives of his followers, that, that couples would stay together, they would work it out and lean on the Lord for a God-honoring marriage. But the allowance that Jesus did make for divorce and for remarriage was when there was sexual immorality that took place, and specifically adultery. And the word immorality, when Jesus states this here, this is the Greek word pornea, where we get the word pornography from. And when pornea is applied to the marriage relationships like it is in this sentence, we, we end up seeing that, that what they were referring to is unfaithfulness, often resulting in sexual intercourse with someone else. And it's on this basis that Jesus permitted divorce. And can I state something here, though? I want to be very clear about this. If your spouse has had an affair and has committed adultery, or is or has been involved in some other kind of sexual sin, I want to tell you it's not a wholesale license to just up and get a divorce. Today, people are looking for the easy way out. And instead of working things out and taking ownership and responsibility for one's own actions, it's easy, so easy to minimize one's own sin and fault and maximize the sin of the other. And I believe you me, I am not minimizing at all the sin of adultery, nor the seriousness of sexual sin. There's a man in our church a little while ago that was telling me that when he and his co-workers or when his co-workers go out on business trips, they leave town, they oftentimes will hook up with other women. They get on the Tinder website or whatever uh, app or, or whatever it might be, and they regularly cheat on their wives. And when challenged and asked about it, they say, well, it, it's not like it's adultery because it's just sex. I don't love the girl that I'm with. It's just sex. It's not adultery. And so they justify it. I talked with another man who claims himself from our city, um, not in our church, uh, from our city who claims to be a Christian who defended and saw nothing wrong with when he would go off on business trips to go to massage parlors. N not, not the proper massage places that help you, but the ones that uh, are open oftentimes very late at night. 
he would go there and justify that sort of action and activity as being fine. You see, folks, it's so easy for our flesh to rationalize all kinds of sexual immorality. And we can make excuses and look for the loopholes. But we must remember one thing, that God is grieved through sexual and bisexual sin. And in the presence of a grieving God, all excuses that we come up with disappear. Sexual immorality and adultery, it's serious, it's destructive, it's hurtful, and even a reason for divorce. And yet, that reason for divorce requires wise counsel, requires time, accountability, examination of scripture, and allow God to bring healing. And we must remember, maybe there are those in here who have committed adultery, are committing adultery, and maybe your spouse doesn't even know it this time. I must remember that the sin of adultery can be forgiven. When there's true repentance and brokenness, there can be true healing. And God is in the business of bringing that healing. And when a couple decides to work it out and to stick through it, it can become a powerful witness of the power and the grace and the forgiveness of our God. And so reconciliation ought to be pursued at every level. But after a while, it can oftentimes become very evident that it cannot be. And so divorce can be pursued with much grace and much patience and, and much wisdom. I walked with my own brother through this kind of painful season in his life. Gut-wrenching. Difficult. And he was not quick, even though others told him, hurry up and get a divorce. She's committed adultery. And yet, he allowed time to end up showing that there was no chance of reconciliation. Even though he desired that the Lord would bring a healing into the relationship, the Lord brought a healing to him. And the Lord has brought a lovely lady into his life. They have a wonderful family together. You see, we must remember, though, that ultimately we need to be first and foremost when it comes to sexual sin of any sort, as we talked last week, we need to be reconciled to God. And because we can be reconciled with God, we can then be reconciled with others because His grace is poured down to us. Our grace, now His grace flows out of us to others and we can bring forgiveness. And God brings that healing as we forgive others. But I must state, and, and, and again, just to be clear on this, when there is a lifestyle pattern of unrepentant sexual sin, a heart that will not turn to God, will not turn to forgiveness and, and turn to reconciliation in this way, then carefully and prayerfully and under wise counsel, divorce can be sought. God's word teaches that. And a person is free to remarry. When there is a biblical divorce, there can be a biblical marriage. This was radical teaching when Jesus said this. I mean, eyebrows would have been like popping up and jaws dropping and like, I can't believe he said that. Jesus was upping the standard. Something that had become so quick and easy, he says, no, this needs to be guarded and protected at all costs. Now, if you look at it and encourage you to write down this passage, I'm not going to read from it, but I'm going to give you the summary of it here. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul gives another allowance for divorce. God's word gives us another allowance where divorce is permitted. And, and as we know from our small group study this past week that even though Jesus did not state this as one of the reasons for divorce, while he was here on, uh, during his earthly ministry, 
the Apostle Paul's writings, and again, this is right from, from what we're learning together and, 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 and being challenged together uh, as God's people in the Word of God, that the Apostle Paul's writing was written under biblical authority, and so it carries the weight of the Word of God. And so he wrote this under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, so it's authoritative. And so even though Jesus didn't give this reason, we know that God's Word permits this, and God's Word allows this. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is writing to the church. He's written the whole book, he, in 1 and 2 Corinthians, he's writing to a church that was really, really messed up in so many different ways. And so he was writing about a situation where someone would come to Christ and their spouse did not. And that was happening as the church was ha as church growth was happening and, and the gospel was going out and Jews and Gentiles and all of these people are getting saved and, and, and the gospel is resulting in churches being planted in cities like Corinth. And so you have one where one spouse comes to the Lord and the other one doesn't. And so they were basically, they had essentially a mixed marriage. And Paul's instruction was don't send that person away. Don't divorce them, even though they do not worship the same Lord, even though they may worship idols, even though they may be just evil, rotten people. You don't divorce them. You stay with them. And he even goes on to say that, that, that as a result of that, they could come to know the Lord as well as the children, that, they, that, that the husband can, would eventually one day, God's goal, God's desire would be that the husband or the unbelieving wife would one day come to know Christ as well as the children because they see the gospel being lived out in the spouse that was saved. And so Paul is saying, don't send the person away, don't divorce. If they're willing to stay with you, work it out and live together. Understanding your first allegiance is still Jesus Christ. He's your first love. However, Paul says, if they are unwilling and they send you away, they kick you out and say, I want nothing to do with you or your God, you are free to seek a divorce in that situation. And the general thrust, once again, I want to be clear on this, of what Paul was saying is that you and your faith will one day, as you stick in there, his hope, his desire, God's plan is that your faith will prevail in your life and in the life of your unsaved spouse. But once again, if that unbelieving spouse leaves and wants nothing to do with Christ, their spouse, the family, you're no longer bound by that marriage covenant. And again, where there is a biblical divorce, there can be biblical remarriage. I can think of a church that we were in a number of years ago. We counted a, on a list. It was a large list. We had 21 spiritually single married people in our church. You know what I mean by that, spiritually single married people? Well, they were married, but one partner, one spouse was a believer and the other one was not. 21 of them, and it wasn't even that large of a church. And we got seriously praying about it and just praying. We would have prayer meetings and, and praying for these spiritually lost people. We would pray for them by name that God would save them. In fact, even at one point in, in our church at that time, we were replacing the carpet and we went for a couple weeks without carpet in, in the worship center. And so we took at the front, right under where the word of God would be preached every Sunday, we kind of took and traced out these hands to kind of picture, kind of give a, a picture of the hand of God. And we took and we wrote the names of people in there hundreds of people that were listed and there were many I was examining it's hard for you to read that but I was looking just found that that picture this week and was going through it and seeing names of men of women that we were praying for that would come to know Christ after a week or two and uh, all that writing went on the, those names are still all there it's under the carpet and the word of God is being preached and we are praying oh God would your word take hold in the live lives of these people and 
so happy to say that so many of those people have come to know the Lord over the years. So many of those marriages that were mixed marriages are now together, one in Christ. A good number of them that has happened. There was one lady in particular, I think she had at that time three or four young boys. I think they ended up maxing out at, at five young boys. And she would just love the Lord dearly with all of her heart. And her husband did not want to have anything to do with her Jesus and nothing to do with her church. He was a gentle man, he was a lovely man, and yet he just, he just chose not to believe. But over time, he's one of the names listed on there. And he gave his heart to Jesus Christ, and my goodness, to see those five young boys grow up to become men of God. And we see this passage in, in 1 Corinthians 7 where a spouse is sanctified and the children as a result of a believing spouse. And so we pray together. Oh, we must pray, we must pray, we must pray for unbelieving spouses. Now, I understand just in the time that we have here and as we're coming to an end here this morning that today's sermon can't cover all of the what-ifs and all of the different scenarios because just as we are all unique, every relationship, every marriage is, is unique. And I know there have been, there are, and sadly will be within our lives, shattered families where tears will flow. And that we would as a church and as we as brothers and sisters would shepherd and love one another in and through this. We would shepherd the hurting. We would warn and speak solid words of conviction from the word of God where we're seeing marriages drifting and falling apart. That we would see the Holy Spirit breathe new life into dead marriage relationships. But we must not allow emotions and situations to determine our theology. We must allow God's word to determine our theology and our practice. And so we want to handle the word of God in every situation in an honorable way with wise counsel. Encourage oftentimes that wise counsel to be leaders within the church, within the body of Christ. Leaders who have been approved by God in, and, and man in, in different ways and, and um, in, encourage you to seek godly counsel in those areas, uh, in some of these, in various scenarios that we face. But each situation must be covered by prayer. God's word gives wise counsel and hope. But I do have to say, and I want to say this again, just, just very lovingly, but very directly. If there is abuse going on in a home, physical, emotional, mental abuse, stop it. In the name of Jesus, stop it and get help. The ruin and the destruction, even if it's not physical, and especially if it is, that can happen in that way, is devastating to your spouse, to your children, to the glory of God in your life, and so if that is going on, you, you need help and you need to rely on small group leaders, on other leaders. You come and you talk to me and, and we need to help in those situations. There's too much at stake. And whether you are on the giving or on the receiving side of that, it's not right. It's not right. And that's not the way home life is to be. Years ago, we were confronted with this. We had a staff member in one of our churches that came to us. On the surface, the perfect couple. 
perfect family, two darling little girls that our little girl just looked up to. They helped in worship ministry. He was in elder and training for the church. They were just so gifted. She was helpful in, in church staff. And I remember the day she came to me in brokenness and shared what was really going on in their home. It wasn't physical abuse, but incredible emotional abuse. And she just said she couldn't go on any longer. We got her some counseling, and she went for the counseling. And even her husband went to the counseling, which we were so happy with. But he even said he was just there to hear what the counselor had to say and what she had to say about him. And then on the way home, he would just mock and make fun of what was said and everything that was going on. But he was going to counseling. Finally, in the end, what ended up happening under the advisement of godly counsel, she ended up leaving him, not to divorce him, but to separate because what was going on in the home was not right. She needed to get herself and her children out from under the pressure of that home. And the only recourse, the best recourse for her was to leave. When he was going away on business, her parents came from the East Coast and picked her and her children up and took her home, doing everything legally and doing that properly in order. And I was the one that then, a few days later, he phoned me and said, I can't get hold of my wife. I don't know, do you know what's going on? She's not answering her phone, her cell phone. There, uh, Nothing's going on. Like, I can't get hold of her. And I had to, at that point, just take and I had to read him a letter. And through my tears, I could hear over the other end of the line his tears. And he said he knew his life was in this free fall and he was falling, falling, falling. And finally, he said when that letter came to an end, he hit the bottom and he broke. And it was the start of a long, long journey. It was about four or five months later, after a few visits he made to Eastern Canada, to the East Coast, it was four or five months later that his wife and daughters came home. He was a changed man. She was a changed woman. It was a changed marriage. One of the great thrills this summer was just going, we had a coffee with them. They came out to Kelowna for a visit. And to see their lives radically altered and changed by the grace of God for the glory of God. Things happened in their lives and in their marriage for the years to come that you would just sit at and just marvel at only a great God. Why? Because it's a God of new hope that we serve a God of new beginnings, if we're willing to humble ourselves. And so marriage is permanent. Divorce at times may be necessary, but thirdly, God heals broken lives. The whole reason why Jesus came to this earth was to rescue and to redeem, to bring hope and help to all. Jesus even said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I have come to, he, he, I, I'm anointed to proclaim goodness, to proclaim freedom, from the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set free the oppressed. That's why Jesus came. And for those of you who have had a marriage breakup, have, have had a marriage break in a biblical way, in what we've talked about here today, it is not cause for guilt or shame or church discipline or anything like that. But if you're here today and you are a person who has been in an offending party, you are an offending party, who specifically has committed adultery, I want to read to you from Dr. Lloyd-Jones, a great old preacher. He said, Even adultery is not the unforgivable sin. It is a terrible sin, but God forbid that there should be anyone who feels that he or she has sinned himself or herself outside of the love of God 
or outside his kingdom because of adultery. No, if you truly repent and realize the enormity of your sin and cast yourself upon the boundless love and mercy uh, and grace of God, you can be forgiven. And I assure you of pardon. But I hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, go and sin no more. Maybe you're here today and you've been divorced. You've been remarried and what has gone on has not been from what we've talked about, a biblical divorce or a biblical remarriage. Can I remind you that our Redeemer, our Savior covers the sin. He covers that when we come to him. We can be forgiven of that. In Christ, we are new creations. The old is gone and the new has come and God can bring blessing and revitalness and a beauty and a purity to that marriage relationship. And so I want to encourage you folks, let's guard what is good. Let's guard what is good when it, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to divorce, when it comes to remarriage. And, and here are some practical ways that, that we can do this. Singles, if you're single here today, honor marriage before you are married. Honor marriage before that. Date with godliness. Date with purpose and purity. Study the word of God and God's plan for marriage, not cultural view for marriage or your dream world ideas of marriage. See what God's word has to say for that. Make your decision about who you marry based on godly character, not on fleeting feelings or emotion. So honor your marriage before you're married. Study the word of God. Parents, teach your children to honor marriage. We need to counter within the home the messages that are being taught by the culture and the world around us. The culture, the world around us gives our our kids all the wrong messages from TV and movies and social media. Don't outsource Christian discipleship to the culture around us or even to the church. The church is an important part of that, but ultimately in the home, build a biblical worldview and, and view on marriage within the home. Set boundaries. Young people, you're not going to like hearing this, but set boundaries for your children. Even age restrictions when it comes to dating. I get concerned when I hear of young children just, oh, he's dating her, he's dating her, she, she's dating him, and, and all of this going on. This is practice for marriage. This is serious. And, and yes, there's nothing wrong with kids liking kids and having relationships. Set, set bar- boundaries around those. We, we had age limits, have age limits for our kids. In fact, last night we were just FaceTiming our daughter. She's 19. She's in Calgary going to school. And I just told her that kind of, I changed my mind that she can officially like date and consider getting married after two years, uh, like when, once her schooling is done. Now, before it was always, uh, I think it was 17, and I just keep bumping it up a bit. And I said, it's best if you get your schooling done and then work for two years, and then you can think about dating. And, and I know she knows that I was joking on that. But our kids need to know that there's boundaries. Even boundaries for them being alone with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Temptation these days. It's so strong, parents, set those, they're under your rule, under your home, you get to set those boundaries. Sorry, kids, you may hate me, but parents, please, please listen to that. It's important that there's good boundaries that are set, that you talk about this. And parents, another thing, in humility and dependence upon the Lord, model for them not a perfect marriage, but a progressing marriage. You are working at communication, you're working at seeing God be honored in your own marriage. And then married couples, fight to guard your marriage, each one of us. 
Where do you need to turn from in areas of discontentment in your life and your marriage right now? You're discontent about something and you need to turn from that. It's sin, it's selfish. You're just thinking about yourself. You're not thinking of the other person more highly than you ought to. Then uh, you're not thinking of them. You're thinking of yourself more than you're thinking of them. Where do you need to forgive? Where do you need to put away bitterness? What's pushing away your time spent together? Life happens, I know that, but what's pushing away your time together? You need that time together. Bring Christ back into the center of your life and your marriage. Get help. We have, we, we have a biblical counselor, a part of our church, and we have another uh, individual, a uh, 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 male counselor that we have um, for, for men and for married couples that, that encourage you. That's not weakness, that's strength when we say, hey, I need, to, I need some outside help. Please talk to your small group leader. Talk to me. Talk to a leader in the church. There's many good books. Uh, here's just a few of them. These would be available. This picture would be available on uh, our, our website. And, and just some disciplines of a godly man, disciplines of a godly woman, r- written by a husband and wife, and, and uh, excellent books. And we have a few of those, uh, some of those books. And then a great book on marriage by Paul Tripp. What did you expect? Encourage you to read these kind of things. It'll help and strengthen our lives and our marriages. Let's pray together. Lord, this is, these are heavy words, but heavy words in this way bring clarity and, and bring hope. And, and God, we thank you that there is no situation that we face where the grace of God cannot come in and bring hope and healing and forgiveness and help. And we pray for that. We pray that we would guard what is good when it comes to our marriage relationships. Would we be a church that encourages strong and healthy, vibrant marriages? Would we be people who pray for one another, for those who have unsaved loved ones? Oh God, would you bring salvation? Would you bring that in your time and in your way? And would we be used in some way, in some capacity, not only just through our prayers, but through action and befriending and caring for um, these lost spouses, these ones that don't recognize you as Lord and Savior at this time? For those who are walking through the hurt and the uh, just the devastation that that divorce can bring oh god i pray that that you would bring your healing and you would bring your help in that these things are all not a surprise to you that we that these things happen and we see that god that you did allow for divorce because of the hardness of heart because of sin and yet god we're just so thankful that you came to bring us and to give us a new heart a heart that can be softened, a heart that can be changed, a heart that has been changed because of Jesus Christ. A heart of stone can be turned into a heart of flesh, and we pray that even in the hardest situations that seem impossible, may we not give up on you. So we praise you and we thank you, God, for what you will do. May your word set huge boundaries in our lives that we would seek to honor you and to honor marriage, keeping the marriage bed pure, keeping relationships right and and forthright when it comes to members of the opposite sex so that we can live strong lives of, of, of purity and honor that bring honor and glory to you ultimately, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing, I want to... We're going to close as we uh, worship the Lord here uh, in the very end and, and a simple prayer in a way that we are able to um, give this area... To God, and, and may this just be a prayer within our heart. And so I'm going to ask you to stand together as we sing. Lord, I come and I confess.